0: Welcome to the Enterprise Excellence Podcast, where our purpose is to help create a better future. Learn from our world's experts how to improve your organisation sustainably. Learn how to achieve and sustain an excellence journey for yourself,
1: others, and the planet.
0: I'm your host, Brad Jevons, coming to you from Brisbane, Australia. Welcome to Episode 21 of the Enterprise Excellence Podcast. It is a great pleasure to have Katie Anderson on the show today. Katie is a researcher, author, and consultant in the areas of enterprise excellence. Her passion is helping people develop and grow. Katie is the author of Learning to Lead, Leading to Learn, the international number one new release in leadership. Let's get into the episode. Katie, thank you for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me, Brad.
0: Katie, you've written this recent book, Learning to Lead, Leading to Learn, and you've been able to do that with Mr. Yoshino, an amazing Person in the areas of enterprise excellence and continuous improvement. What brought you to this place? What's the back history of Katie Anderson that brought you to this place of writing this best selling book?
1: It's a bit of serendipity and intention intertwined together. Um, I started off my career in academia and actually lived in Australia for four and a half years where I received my master's degree and had a pivot there and moved into consulting. And that's when I first started to get exposed to enterprise excellence. And when I returned to the United States, I joined a performance improvement department at a local children's hospital at Stanford University. And through that, uh, learned uh, lean practices and techniques, continuous improvement uh, methodologies and and the mindset. And uh, fast forward eight years, started my own consulting practice. And less than a year later, my husband had came home and told me, or actually he sent me an instant message saying that he had an opportunity for his job, for us to move to Japan. And as a continuous uh, improvement practitioner and somebody who had studied the Toyota way and the Toyota production system, I was beyond thrilled and a little trepidatious because uh, we had just had our second child. So (laughs) there was a lot going on, but really excited. And You know, luck would have it that a month after we found out about this amazing opportunity, I was speaking at a conference, the Lean Coaching Summit in Long Beach. And John Shook, who was the first non Japanese employee of Toyota, and at that time was the head of the Lean Enterprise Institute, had invited his former boss and mentor, Isao Yoshino, to be at the conference. And so I had an opportunity to meet Mr. Yoshino. He gave me his business card and said, "Look me up when you move to Japan." And you know, then fast forward, you know, another six, uh, six to eight months. When, once we moved to Japan in January of 2015, and we got settled, I, I reached out to him and, and we set a date. And I made my husband take the day off of work because I thought this was for sure going to be a once in a lifetime opportunity to meet with this 40-year Toyota leader who had. Uh, been one of the key people to develop A3 thinking at Toyota, who had trained John Shook and had been the leader of the, the training program uh, for teaching the Toyota way to foreigners when Toyota was starting to expand overseas in the 1980s. So I was beyond thrilled. And we hit it off. And we just had this great day. And I, I realized, you know, I, or I guess in hindsight, learned that he is such a genuine, humble man who really has a passion for helping other people learn and develop and connecting. And we actually have those are sort of our shared um, some shared themes in our in, our, in my life uh, as well. And we just, I would just jump on the bullet train and go down and visit him and spend the whole day together every two months and. Over time, you know, over the 18 months that I was living in Japan, gosh, we got together. We started to, we continued the relationship even when I moved back to the United States. He stayed at my house a few times and uh, out of that came this this wild and crazy idea to uh, partner together on a book and uh, that was about three years ago. And so we started with purposeful interviews and I realized that the richness of his stories and experiences Uh, just how I needed to pivot and how we framed it. And really needed to tell his learning story. So that was the long answer, but this is how the book came to be. And uh, I'm so grateful for everything that I've gotten to learn from Mr. Yoshino and now get to share it with everybody um, through the book as well.
0: And Katie, was that part of the title? Like the one thing I found when I looked at your book, the title was really impactful, you know, Mm -hmm. learning to lead, leading to learn. Is that one of the key insights you gain from Mr. Yoshino right from the start. Uh,
1: absolutely, you know, the very first time that I met him actually it was right before I met him. So he was on stage at this conference. He said he was he and John Shook were on stage talking about their experience of being the manager and the director port or they called it a subordinate, you know, in, in Japanese terms. And Mr. Yoshino said something that struck me as really profound. Uh, about that a leader's role is to set the direction provide support and develop themselves and and to me that really speaks to this concept that we're we're always learning how to lead and leading to help other people learn and to create a learning organization it's this really cyclical process and if if we ever remove ourselves as leaders from the concept that we're also learners, we, we really then lose our humility, lose our curiosity and aren't going to be part of the learning organization. And so how can we always be improving how we're leading and then leading to improve as well. And it's sort of the cyclical learning and leading kind of are married together.
0: Wow. Katie. So in summary, as a leader, you're constantly learning yourself to be able to lead better. And then you're constantly leading others to help them learn and grow also.
1: Correct. And helping yourself. And, and then the, the meta is that you're also helping yourself through that process as well. You're challenging yourself to be a better learner and to be a better leader.
0: Katie, what, what are some of the key insights that you gained on how to do that? What were some of the key knowledge points throughout that journey of meetings and days and mm. times you had with Mr. Yoshino?
1: One of the things that really struck me through all of my conversations with Mr. Yoshino is that it's not just learning through success, but also how can we learn through mistakes and failure? Uh, And that he says, you know, failure is only failure if you haven't learned something that you couldn't have learned elsewhere. And so uh, and also this practice of deep reflection. Actually, the original working title of the book was Practicing Hansei. Hansei, the Japanese word meaning self-reflection, because to me, that's sort of the meta experience of working on to create this book with, with, with Mr. Yoshino was the practice of reflection. But really, the stories, it's reflecting on learning to lead and leading to learn, which is how I ended up um, choosing the title. But I would say, how can we as individuals be reflecting more deeply, both on the things that have happened in the short term, but also taking a step back and starting to see the patterns over time for ourselves and for our organizations. And then what do we wanna to do to adjust and change? It's really the, the foundation of the plan, do, study, adjust cycle should be the study and adjust, but we usually are doing plan, do, plan, do, and not really spending that time in reflection to learn.
0: Katie, what causes that? Because I can relate to what you're saying. I I see it a lot through organizations where there seems to be a lot of doing, do, 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 do. But when it comes to learning from something that's gone wrong or taking time to reflect on yourself or your team or the bigger picture, it seems to not really happen that much, if at all. Mm.
1: I'm certainly guilty of this as well. uh, And I have to put great intention to uh, building in the time for reflection so often we are, have this sense of urgency that maybe at times is a false sense of urgency because we, <laughs> we have all these deadlines and we have these meetings and we've created this system where we're, we're running from here to there and we don't feel like we have the time to slow down and think. But if we did take that time, it would actually solve more of the problems. So we're not like all, having all these meetings talking about the same problems that we had the meetings to talk about the last two years. Uh, so, when I work with leadership teams and with individuals, I help them identify a, a pattern that they can practice. Where, what is even ten minutes out of the day that they can carve and protect for some reflection? How do they uh, set a plan at the beginning of the day and, and reflect on that? And even through that simple process of taking ten minutes. This richness of learning and greater understanding starts to emerge. And, and so we, it's about slowing down and pausing, even just for a tiny bit, that will create that space and through that um, sort of create a meta, a meta pattern in our, in our organizations.
0: Katie, have you got an example of an organization where you, you've seen them really grow and develop and be able to bring in reflection and learning both from mistakes, but also, I guess, individually as a leader or a person?
1: Uh, certainly, have have a few in in both of the healthcare organizations that uh, I work directly in, and uh, certainly the se- the second one. We had a uh, someone who a senior executive that was brought in who had a lot of experience in this type of thinking. He'd come from a different uh, organization, James Hereford, and really brought in that, that senior executive uh, direction, like this is what we're going to do, which makes a tremendous amount of impact in the organization. But even if taking like one cycle of, say, strategy deployment or Hoshin practices and having more structure, and assignments of uh, for senior leaders, like you own this, this segment of thinking about say quality or service delivery and having an assigned uh, responsibility to be the thought leader in the organization around that helped create deeper learning uh, and also helping leaders to go out and see what was actually happening and connecting with the people. We've often created um, cultures where we're just used to staying in our conference rooms or our executive offices or now all working from home, whatever, you know, we're just being on the computer, but not really going and connecting with the people who are doing the work. So by creating some structures, even within one year of having leaders assigned thought leadership on a certain topic, and helping support them having those conversations and providing the the structured time for them to do the deeper thinking that was, uh, was really transformative for getting more clarity on not only the direction the organization needed to go, but also the real, I guess, operational realities of the current condition as well. So it wasn't, you know, it just, it didn't happen overnight. And again, that process continued on and on, but even over the course of say one year by putting some structure and some process uh, around it, the organization had some aha moments about how they were functioning in the past and then starting to create some different habits around reflection and not just plan doing, but reflecting on what actually was happening.
0: Wow. So really You mentioned in that conversation then that structure played a big part, that setting some time aside to be able to do the reflection, having some time to actually go and see and learn with people Mm -hmm. at the front line. What what part does structure play? Because, you know, I've been in leadership myself and I know a lot of leaders where they'd say, look, I'm just so busy trying to put in structure and set times for these things. It's near impossible. But what part Mm. does structure play to help and how did you overcome that?
1: Well, one thing that was tremendously helpful was creating a standard calendar and the expectation that you know, certain meetings were happening on certain days that would lead up to uh, Thursdays are when the senior leaders would go to Gemba or go to the different um, clinical sites to be checking in on what was happening, both from a management system perspective, but also from an operational uh, improvement in operations perspective. And having that standard calendar allowed leaders to be aligned in what they were doing and created expectation of what was happening. So there was, you know, it didn't mean that it just solved all the problems, but there was certainly, it It created the space and, and ability for people to show up as the, they had agreed upon without being pulled into all these other, um, other places. And setting some expectations that every morning uh, there would be time for the frontline managers and the physician leaders to be doing a check-in, doing a huddle in their, their clinical areas and making that a priority. And so those structures and carving out the time in the calendar was a tremendous accelerator for the leaders to then be able to go and practice because they weren't they could say, no, Thursday's the day I'm going in. They weren't expecting to be called into other cross-functional meetings um, at that time.
0: So the structure brings out a better rhythm for the whole process, but also enables that time to be set aside Mm. and dedicated to it.
1: Yes. And another structure that helped was was clearly laying out, you know, what was the expectation when, when these leaders were going out, it's supposed, you know, there's the whole management by walking around, but the difference is really going to Gemba is going with, with some intention. And we talk about that in the book. So what were the things specifically they were checking on and what were say the five types of questions that they were gonna ask um, the, the directors and the managers and having that routine to practice was tremendously helpful for them too. So they knew what better looked like. And then to have a coach such as myself or someone else with them to help remind them of that practice and then reflect on it immediately after. And again, getting back to that having time for reflection so they didn't just rush off to another meeting. And those types of, that type of structure really helped um, create the space for the, the, the behaviors and also created the specific patterns of practice.
0: Wow, so we've spoken about the, the concepts of huddles and the concepts of gamble walks or frontline walks and, or leading by walking around. But what you're saying out, out of the book, learning to lead, leading to learn, is that it's about when you go on that walk, you're doing that walk with the intention of learning. When, you go, when it seems going to that huddle, you're going to that huddle with the intention of learning, reflecting, learning, checking, adjusting. Am I on the right track with that? Uh,
1: absolutely. And so it's both learning for you as the leader and also how are you, the leader, supporting the learning and the capability of the people that you're, uh, you're checking on. Uh, so it's not just checking to see that have you achieved the outcome te- check. It's checking on your thinking process and then what type of coaching or support Do I, as the leader, need to help provide to you so that you are more effective in developing that capability to solve the operational problem? This gets back to what I said in the beginning, that the leader's role is to set the direction or set that challenge. So where do we need to go? And then checking on the progress that the person's making, but providing the support. So, that they are developing the capabilities along the way or barriers that need to be removed. And so, having that clear intention and focus when you go in to check or go into to uh, have a report out is tremendously um, was foundational to uh, lean leadership.
0: Wow. So, you're taking those standard systems that we'd all know from lean or continuous improvement, and you're applying the whole thought process of learning yourself, but then also on how to help others grow and develop.
1: Ab- absolutely. Uh, and it's not just about us as the leader coming in and having our answer or our or the solution there, but helping other people get to the right answer for their area and focusing on the process, not just the outcome.
0: Katie, are there any key leadership behaviors that you'd say are extremely important to doing this effectively?
1: Mm. Absolutely. Uh, one is uh, having the self-awareness that we have been rewarded in our lives for being the experts. And often leaders are promoted because of ha- having deep content, expertise, and knowledge. But when we move into a leadership role, it's less about our expertise as you know, a specific content uh, knowledge and more about how are we developing that capability for others. So when we can set that direction, but then not tell and give all the answers or tell people what to do, but show up asking more open-ended questions that help support somebody else to think more deeply. That is to me, the number one accelerator. But also knowing that sometimes just staying asking open-ended questions isn't helpful. Sometimes people do need different type of support. So need to be taught how to do something or, um, you know, demonstrated or given some advice. So it's being able to flex as a leader, but not jumping in as our first habit to tell people the answer. Uh, And that often comes from a deep desire to be helpful, but there's a disconnect um, between our ultimate outcome as a leader or our purpose as a leader, which is to help other people think and to grow and to solve problems, so that we're not solely responsible for that. So for me, the number one is asking more effective questions and then listening with open uh ears in an open mind and not making, not sort of shutting down our own brain because of of we what we thought the answer was going to be.
0: So Kay, it sounds to me like You're saying that really you need to go in there with the attention of asking some open probes, open questions, so you can truly understand and not be blindsided by your own traditional biases, even. Like you're saying that sometimes the advice we could be given, giving to someone, could be of course because we don't properly understand the situation.
1: Absolutely. And one one way that leaders can sort of help remind themselves is you may have great experience in this from the past have seen many 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 similar situations but you don't know exactly what's happening in this situation so asking that person to tell you more and what they're thinking also allows uh, them to explore it but also for you to realize whoa maybe this is actually a slightly different situation not all the inputs are 100 percent the same as what i've seen in the past Uh, And so holding off on our own assumptions as well, that what we've seen in the past is the same as what we're seeing here today.
0: Well, so that deep understanding of the situation, and then from there, your decision could go into coaching more with open questions still, or maybe there's a teaching or training requirement.
1: Absolutely. But again, often we jump into teaching or training too soon because we see someone not have an immediate answer. And this is another very important thing as, as leaders. And we're so busy, you know, again, this gets back to not feeling like we have a lot of time and like, we need that answer now. But really, if we're if we're we're helping create a learning organization, we have to give space for learning and learning happens a bit in the struggle. Oh, I need to, that's a great question. I need to go get more information or I need to think about that. So if we then jump in and say, okay, now this is the time for me to give you my answer or to just... You know, tell you what to do because it feels expedient. We're then we're we're then shortchanging that learning opportunity. So again, how do you even create half an hour for more thinking? But and kind of saying I'm going to come back and check on you, or or uh, and then if that person truly is stuck, then maybe there is some teaching. But holding back, hold back a little bit. Allow for that struggle. Allow for the thinking to happen.
0: Katie, this is probably the million dollar question on the topic. You know, with yeah. leaders being so busy so rushed feel like they're fighting fires all day flat out what's the benefit for them of taking this extra time and actually asking more open questions giving people the time to think and learn themselves rather than just saying just go do this this will fix it just go do it
1: well when we show up having all the answers telling people what to do. It's almost like we've created some learned helplessness in our organization. We expect, we've, we've trained people to come to us to give, to give all the answers. And when we are giving the answers, when we're telling, we ultimately end up owning the responsibility for that problem. And so then we feel even more burdened, like, oh my gosh, I, I I own all of the problems in the organization. So, and that's not possible. And it just, if so, part of the overburdening that often we feel when we're in a leadership role is because we haven't actually really set that clear direction so that people are working in alignment and know what direction to be focusing themselves, but giving true responsibility for problem-solving ownership to other people. And we take that away when we tell people what to do. Um, and, And so, it's, I call it taking a, an intention pause. So reminding ourselves, <laughs> what's my ultimate purpose and in, in, in goal here? It's not that I want to own all of the thinking and all the problem solving in the organization. I want us to be moving in the right direction. So reminding ourselves that, that slowing down and, and just saying, okay, I'm going to hold back a little bit more in this situation um, to connect more with that purpose. And so to really connect those behaviors that you that you know are going to serve you and overcome those habits that you might have to jump in um, and just keep moving along. Because ultimately then you're going to be overburdened and burnt out.
0: Okay. So you're saying that a lot of the overburden and time poor position of a leader could be because of their language and their approach and them owning all the problems, owning all the issues.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, and I think it's a really hard thing to, I guess, recognize in ourselves that our own habits are actually creating the outcomes that it's sort of this vicious cycle that then we feel like we're, we are we have to be the problem solver for everything. And then we're overburdened and we feel more, we feel I'm under that much more pressure. So to, we need to break that cycle uh, and, and bit by bit. And it's, it, it can be hard.
0: Yeah. Katie, what what sort of results do you see organizations achieve if they can break that cycle and start to really, you know, learn to lead, learning to lead, leading to learn, and covering those aspects we've talking about, spoken about?
1: Yeah, you know what's always been amazing to me in in both the organizations that I have worked in as a you know an employee as well as being an external coach or consultant, is that. Over time, you know, I'm talking like a year or two years and, and even more, people report that they experience more time and space. So it feels like more work in the beginning because, you know, this concept of slow thinking and fast thinking, when we're creating new habits, it's hard. We have to be really, we have to think purposefully about what we're going to do. But as we start to be more effective at asking questions and creating those routines for us to go see and go see with intention over time, other things start to diminish like all the extra meetings that we had. Well, we're actually solving problems and communicating in, in a more routine and structured way. And so then the time starts to, you know, it actually starts, the pressure starts to decrease because we're not so overburdened. In many ways, all the meetings and things that we've layered on our schedules is because we don't have those systems and structures and the accountability, no, I, would, I don't like the word accountability process, but the the checking process, the visibility of what's happening in service of achieving those that challenge or the direction or the goals that we need for the organization. So if we can start putting those structures and practice those behaviors over time, other things will start to come off the calendar uh, because we're being more effective and uh, purposeful with our time.
0: That's a great outcome. And I could imagine that that extra time and extra space just creates better performance. You know, if, if a leader has a clearer head and less stress, that's got to be a good thing. Oh,
1: well, absolutely. And then you're able to, it, it's then it's the virtuous cycle because then you feel less stressed when you're going to check and, and you feel like you have more time to coach and develop people and still get your other work done that you need to. So, you know, the problems you have to solve as well as the coaching and development work that's your responsibility as well. Uh, so for sure. But it, it, in the beginning it can feel like a lot. And so it's having the patience and, and sort of the long-term um, look.
0: Katie, what you've got the book that's come out. And it's an amazing book. What are you focused on now in your career and what you're doing? And especially around that topic you mentioned around how leaders can bridge the gap to actually go mm-hmm. through this phase of pain and hardship to learn the new habits and to shift into a new yeah. style of leadership.
1: So I I feel so fortunate to have learned from Mr. Yoshino's stories and and all of the the lessons that come through from his experience of 40 years like even starting as a you know early college graduate to a senior executive um and what's so nice to learn from stories is you can take other you can take many richness of learning out of there but what this book doesn't tell you is the how and so where i see my passion and focus right now is helping people take these leadership practices uh, these concepts and then how they apply them in their own lives so how are they taking these concepts that they have learned and reflecting on their own current behavior and starting to practice some some new ways so they are continuing to be uh, learning leaders themselves
0: that's that's really cool so you're looking at helping i guess as many leaders and people as you can to form those new habits and develop those new capabilities
1: Absolutely. And it's through a variety of different, uh, you know, methods I have coaching cohorts, uh, different classes that I teach, uh, as well as, you know, how one-on-one and I'm looking at putting together some ooh, sorry, some, com- some companion guides too, that really can help people take the reflection questions that are at the end of every chapter uh, and really use that as a place for their own reflection and learning and, and have some forums for discussion as well.
0: That's great. It's so cool how you're really looking to consider how to put what's in the book into practice? Because I think mm. that's often the challenge, isn't it? We can read so many books and learn so many things, but do we actually, or are we able to actually put it into practice?
1: Yes. And that's what I would challenge everyone. And, and why I put questions at the end of every section, because learn from the stories, but also reflect on your own life and, and using the book as a way to, to really start that practice of reflection and then and, and then start putting the structures in place for your own learning as well.
0: Katie, I have some other questions I want to ask, but it seems timely they just ask, how do people reach out to you if they do want to connect in relation to any of those topics?
1: Great, well there are a few ways. So the, the easy thing to remember is the book's website is learning to lead, leading to and that, that directs to my website too, which is K B J Anderson, A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N. And that's my handle actually on Twitter, and you can find me on LinkedIn. It's at KBJ Anderson. Uh my my middle name is my 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 maiden name, which is Brian Jones. So my initials are K-B-J-A. And so that was, that was how that all came about. Uh, but I, I, I love connecting with people on LinkedIn, on Twitter, the book can be bought on Amazon, uh, in both ebook and in, uh, in paperback. And of course, uh, you can reach out to me directly from my website as well.
0: And Katie, my, I've got a question for you here is what have you learned recently that you didn't know before? What's a recent insight that you've had?
1: Mm, that's a great, that's a great question. I feel like I've, I've, I've been learning so many things uh, lately. Uh, for me, actually, it's a lot of it's around technology, you know, you and I were talking about how, you know, we all have a bit of a learning curve with our microphones and other things like that. Uh, I've had such a deep experience of learning through uh, working with Mr. Yoshino. But for me, it's um, the thing I've been really focusing on is how can we take experiences that we'd had in person and still stay, stay with the, the principle of of having an interactive learning experience, but do that effectively in a virtual environment, and how do we still maintain the sense of community and connection, and do that here with all of us sitting in our in our own rooms as well, and so I don't know if I've had like the deepest learning, but to me it's it's about, and I'm still I'd love to hear other people's ideas on how you're doing it, but to me it's about how do how do we engage and have con- direct connections and conversation. Um, and then do other things that can happen offline, offline, um, but use the opportunities for synchronous time for um, enriched connections. So I'm, it's, I guess it's, it's maybe it's the challenge in front of me to figure out, um, but that's the thing I've been pondering and trying to uh, learn for myself is how do we still maintain connection and have a really, uh, I guess, a meaningful learning experience, but in a virtual environment.
0: That's a, a powerful area of focus for you going forward. Yeah, Especially yeah. in relation to the book. It totally relates. Yeah, yes. Because mm. the product, there's, ama- there's an amazing productivity gain, efficiency gain for us, isn't there? And a way to reach globally um, mm. and learn and develop. But like you said, the challenge is connectedness. And how do we still create that interpersonal connectedness?
1: Mm. And um, on the upside, the beauty is we can, you know, ha- reach out to all these people around the world at the same time. I mean, one of the, you know, one of the things Mr. Yoshino and I had to let go of is we'd had this whole book tour planned across Europe and North America for this year and had all these great in-person events planned. And, you know, of course that, that had to, had to change, but we had, with the help of um, some friends, or, and you're there too, Brad, we, We had these two great global celebrations that were, you know, Zooms of like 65, 70 people um, each. And it was really fun and amazing that we had, that we were able to have all these people around the world. So again, there's, there's some benefits too. So how do we harness the, the really positive side of our experience now um, and overcome the things that are more, uh, the more challenging, but I think it's a great, this is a great time to be conceiving of the future of uh, learning and leading and connection.
0: It certainly allows us to learn more broadly. You know, mm. I'm based here in Australia. You're, you're in America. I've learned from you this, this morning or today. And I, Katie, I really appreciate your time and sharing and providing knowledge and helping us create a better future. It's a, it's a great topic you focused on.
1: Thank you, Bradwell. you're helping me fulfill my joy and passion, which is connecting with people around the world to live and lead with intention. So uh, thank you so much.
0: Thanks, Katie. The first key takeaway for me from this episode was, creating a learning organization is a key element in achieving enterprise excellence, and it starts from the top with leadership curiosity, humility, and constant learning. So many studies have shown that a large portion of culture derives from leadership behaviour. Forming a learning culture within your organisation starts with your leadership. To achieve this, you need your leaders to be demonstrating behaviours of curiosity and humility. Jumping to conclusions and blaming others is the opposite of this. Being curious takes more time than jumping to conclusions based on past experience. The extra time is worth it when you consider the resulting cultural outcomes. The extra time to show curiosity and humility will save you time in the long run through the improvement in culture drives. The second key takeaway for me is the power of reflection. Leaders who give themselves the time to reflect often will naturally learn more, demonstrate greater curiosity and humility. Leadership reflection, to me, links to Jim Collins' famous statement of looking in the mirror versus looking out the window and blaming others. A leader that spends time where value is created at the front line of their organisation, reflects on what they see and hear, and thinks what they can do to help move the organisation forward based on their learnings is looking in the mirror. They are constantly learning and turning this learning into actions they can control to move the organisation forward. Thanks again for your time and knowledge, Katie. We really appreciate it. Bye for now.